Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon. Episode 24, Marshal Massena, Prince of Essling, Duke of Rivoli. Massena also earned the nickname Le Enfant Cherry de la Victoire, or in English, the Dear Child of Victory. Andre Massena was born in Nice, France on May 6, 1758. He was the son of a shopkeeper, Jules Massena, and his wife, Marguerite. His father died when young Andre was just six years old, and he was sent away by his mother to live with his father's relatives. Not surprisingly, Massena had a difficult childhood and lacked a formal education. At the age of 13, the restless youth became a cabin boy on a merchant vessel. He sailed mostly within the Mediterranean Sea, but did partake in two long voyages to South America. In 1775, Massena returned to France and enlisted as a private in the Royal French Army stationed near Italy. His natural talents allowed him to be promoted to sergeant two years later. By the time he was 26, he had been promoted to sergeant major. Unfortunately, due to the rigid structure of the Royal French Army, this was the highest rank a non-noble soldier could achieve. In 1789, the near penniless Massena took a discharge from the army, and that same year married Anne-Marie Rosalie Lamarck, who was the daughter of a surgeon. The couple lived in Antibes throughout the Napoleonic Wars and produced four children, three of whom lived to adulthood. Due to Massena's massive looting efforts as a general, the couple lived in great comfort. Massena had many mistresses, including several he took on campaign, but Anne turned a blind eye to all this and focused on raising her children. The couple usually avoided attending court events in Paris, preferring to stay quietly at their estate. Massena's wife died in 1829, 12 years after her husband. After a brief career as a fruit seller and smuggler, Massena re-enlisted in the midst of the radical French Revolution, where men could actually be promoted on merit as opposed to birthright. What a concept! In 1792, his fellow troops selected him as lieutenant colonel, and he became battalion commander and took part in a few engagements. A year later, he was promoted to brigadier general, and by August 1793, he was promoted to general of division, the highest military rank possible for an officer. Quite a lofty climb after 14 years as a non-commissioned soldier. From 1794 to 1795, General Massena was active in almost every battle against the Austrians and their allies in the Italian theater of war. He commanded one of the wings over the Army of Italy under General Scherer. He gained valuable experience in mountain warfare, which he would put to use later in his career, in Switzerland and in Spain. In November 1795, Massena, Scherer, 
and future Marshal Ogeru launched a surprise attack against the Austrians. An attack during the winter months was not a normal time for aggressive army maneuvers due to the difficult logistics involved. Not surprisingly, this surprise attack at Luano was actually recommended by Napoleon, who was at the time a military planner at the war ministry. Although the French lost 3,000 casualties in the attack, they inflicted 3,000 killed or wounded on the Austrians and captured another 4,000 along with many cannons. Massena had performed well, but the French army fell back to Nice due to lack of supplies. The victory did establish a good fit hold on the Ligurian Alps for Napoleon, who took over command in 1796. Napoleon arrived at the front in April of that year, and Massena was initially unimpressed. After Scherer resigned, Massena had hoped that he would be assigned as commander-in-chief, but instead it was the appointee from Paris in the form of Napoleon. Massena was 37 years old, and Napoleon was 26 when they first met. After a brief cordial exchange, Massena remarked, quote, He put on his general's hat and seemed to have grown two feet. He questioned us on the position of our divisions, on the spirit and effective forces of each corps, prescribed the course we were to follow, announced he would hold an inspection, and on the following day, attack the enemy. From that day forward, the two men and their 47,000 troops made history in Italy. Launching attack after attack, the French split apart the Piedmontese army and the Austrian army. The Piedmontese quickly sued for peace, and the Austrians suffered defeat after defeat. One Piedmontese officer exclaimed, quote, They sent a young madman who attacks right, left, and from the rear. It's an intolerable way of making war. End quote. Napoleon and Massena emphasized speed over all else, marching 30 miles per day when their opponents could only muster six or seven miles with their lumbering supply trains. Massena's military knowledge, proud bearing, and keen, incisive speech was of great assistance to Napoleon. His absolute self confidence was inspiring to the men who served under him. Unfortunately, military glory wasn't the main driving force in Massena's life, for he loved two things more, money and women, in that order. Both infatuations were to cost him later in his career. But early in his career in Italy, his performances in battle were amazing. Helping to secure victories at Lodi, Castiglione, Rivoli, and Arcola. But his great greed and looting of conquered territories was upsetting to Napoleon, and for this reason, he was not chosen to accompany the French expedition to Egypt in 1798. Instead, he was given command of the French troops occupying Rome. On arriving at this new post, he almost had a mutiny on his hands, 
as his soldiers were poorly supplied and fed. Never a good administrator, Masena's greedy ways did not improve the situation, as he exacted taxes on all food and plunder that his men obtained. His troops and officers sent a mass of complaints to the government in Paris, and Masena was soon reassigned to command the French army in Switzerland. This posting in the mountainous Alps was more akin to his skill set, and he also had a stellar crop of subordinates, including future marshals Oudinot, Mortier, and Soult. The Russians and Austrians had soundly beaten the French army in Italy and began to trudge towards Messina and Switzerland. If Switzerland fell, the borders of France would be next, so the fate of the country rested in Messina's hands. Although Napoleon was away in Egypt, Messina had learned many things from him. One of the most important, never interrupt your enemy when they are making a mistake. Messina withdrew his outposts and concentrated his army in a semicircle around Zurich. There he waited. Sure enough, an Austrian army of 50,000 men split off from the Russian force of 33,000 troops under General Korsakov. The Austrians assumed Messina was done for and instead went north to secure the Netherlands. Then another error occurred when the Russian General Korsakov allowed his army to get strung out too thinly with their back against a lake. Masena saw his opportunity and pounced on the Russians and sent them reeling. It was a masterly display of defensive warfare followed by a cobra quick strike. Once the French gained the initiative, the victory was theirs. The famous Russian general Suvorov arrived to save the Russians and used all of his skill to extricate his men before they were totally destroyed. Massena and his troops had saved France with a loss of only 3,000 casualties. The Russians suffered 8,000 casualties and lost all of their baggage train and artillery. A few months later, Napoleon returned to Paris and took control of the government in November 1799. In 1800, Messina was dispatched to Genoa to literally and figuratively hold down the fort until Napoleon arrived in Italy. But that was going to take some time as the First Council had to assemble a strike force and cross the mountains of the Alps. Messina had a total force of 60,000, but some of those were dispatched away from the city under General Suchet. Although Genoa is a coastal city, Messina could not be resupplied by the sea as the British had set up a naval blockade and thus 40,000 Austrian troops surrounded Massena's 18,000 men. After two months of skirmishing, hunger, fatigue, and typhus, Massena's soldiers and the Genoa populace began to wither. But the dogged Massena hung on tightly and refused all calls to surrender. 
Meanwhile, the citizens of Genoa starved, and the troops were fed, quote, a miserable ration of a quarter of a pound of horse flesh and a quarter of a pound of what was called bread, a horrible compound of flour, sawdust, starch, hair powder, oatmeal, nuts, and other nasty substances. Each loaf of bread was held together by little bits of wood, without which it would have fallen to powder, end quote. A revolt threatened by the town citizens was squelched by Massena's declaration that an assembly of over five persons would be fired upon, and the approaches to the main streets were guarded by cannons. He also prohibited military funerals because it depressed his remaining troops. Finally, after two months, Massena capitulated after many negotiations. But even the surrender document had strict rules from the commander of the French. Massena insisted that the words capitulation or surrender were written anywhere in the document, he would end all negotiations. But his men were so weak that they couldn't lift their weapons. A ceasefire was agreed to, and Massena was allowed to march his starving men out with all their equipment, and the city was handed over to the Austrians. The siege had tied down many Austrian troops that could have been better utilized in the Battle of Marengo, which was Napoleon's big victory that legitimized his government. Afterwards, Napoleon wrote to Massena saying, quote, In such a situation as you are, a man like you is worth 20,000 men. End quote. After Marengo, Napoleon gave Massena full command of the French armies in Italy. Unfortunately, Massena immediately began his usual graft, selling illicit trading licenses to merchants, embezzling funds on a massive scale while treating his troops poorly. After repeated imperial warnings against this, Napoleon dispatched an inspector to take 3 million francs out of Massena's bank at Leghorn. After he learned the emperor had taken his 3 million, Massena became physically ill for days, saying, quote, I was fighting in his service, and he was cruel enough to take away my little savings, which I had invested at Leghorn, end quote. He was then recalled in disgrace and put on half pay for two years. However, in 1804, he was named one of the original 18 marshals of the empire. But the gruff Massena was still annoyed with the emperor. When one of his friends congratulated him on, on his new honor, Massena chided him and his new title, quote, yes, one of 18, end quote. He was finally given a command again, but not with the main Grand Armée that was encircling the Austrians in old. He was dispatched yet again to Italy to tie down Austria's best commander, Archduke Charles. After seizing Verona, Massena and Charles fought a stiff battle at Caldero. The French suffered 3,700 casualties, while the Austrians took 9,200 casualties before retiring. Although it wasn't a massive victory like Austerlitz, Massena again had done his duty by tying up reinforcements for the Austrians. After the Austrians had been defeated, 
Massena was sent to aid Napoleon's brother Joseph in his new kingdom in Naples. In 1808, he was made Duke of Rivoli by the emperor in honor of their famous victory in Italy. In September 1808, during some rare downtime, Massena joined a hunting party with the emperor and his entourage. Tragically, he was accidentally shot in the eye by one of his companions and lost permanent sight in that eye. Napoleon, a notoriously lousy shot, was the most likely culprit, but the dutiful Marshal Berthier took the blame. After taking some time to convalesce from this injury, he was called back to the front lines for the war against a resurgent Austria. Massena performed admirably in the battles of Egmold and Ebersberg, but some of his best work was done in the Battle of Aspern-Essling in May of 1809. Working with fellow marshals Law and Bessier, the French held off repeated attacks against their bridgehead near Vienna. Unable to be reinforced due to knocked out bridges across a river, Massena held his position against incredible odds and was rewarded afterwards with the title of Prince of Essling. Sadly, his brother Marshal Law was killed in the fighting, and the French had to retreat into Vienna. Over the next several weeks, the French army rested, refitted, and awaited reinforcement. As preparations went on, Massena helped the Emperor strategize for the renewed assault on the Austrian positions. On one occasion, wishing to more closely inspect the Austrian positions, the Emperor and Massena dressed in sergeants' uniforms and went alone up to the river near Vienna and took off their coats as if they wanted to bathe. The Austrian scouts, seeing this, thought it was just two French soldiers enjoying a wash in the river and ignored them. Thus, the Emperor and the Marshal were able to determine good spots for launching their attack in the epic Battle of Wagram in July 1809. Just previous to the battle, Massena injured himself in a fall from his horse, so he had to direct his corps from a carriage pulled by four white horses. During the fury of the Battle of Wagram, Massena repeatedly harangued his troops from the carriage for their slackness. Quote, Scoundrels! You get five sous a day, and I am worth 600,000 francs a year, yet you make me go ahead of you. End quote. After the victory at Wagram, Massena returned to France to recuperate. But the talented marshal was soon needed again by his emperor. By this time, he was fabulously wealthy and second only to Napoleon in military reputation. He was sent to Spain whereas other marshals and generals struggled against the Spanish guerrilla forces and the British army. Despite his protests that he was unhealthy and not fit for command, Napoleon sent him anyway, saying, quote, Your reputation alone will finish the business. End quote. On arriving at Salamanca to take command of his troops, his troubles began. Delays in supply were inevitable, but his subordinates, Marshal Ney and General Junot, were openly contemptuous towards him. 
The campaigning in Spain and Portugal was difficult. With the mountainous countryside that offered little to no forage, roving bands of guerrilla armies, and imperial orders coming from a thousand miles away in Paris. It's truly remarkable the French had any success at all. But Massena didn't help his cause by bringing along his mistress and making some terrible decisions. On one occasion, Massena dictated his orders to his aides through the keyhole of his bedroom door while he was having a tryst with his mistress. Officers who had served with him in Italy and Switzerland remarked that he had lost his resolve and drive. He also permitted reckless looting by his soldiers and disgustingly authorized the abduction of any Spanish and Portuguese girls between the ages of 12 and 20 for the entertainment of his men. One of his generals remarked, quote, he is no longer the Massena of the flashing eyes, the mobile face, and the alert figure whom I've known in 1799. He is only 52, but looks 60. He's gotten thin. He's beginning to stoop. And since that accident, when he lost his eye by the emperor's hand, he has lost his vivacity, end quote. Despite all this, Massena still managed to take the offensive and captured the forts of Ciudad Rodrigo and Almeida. With the advance of Massena into Portugal, Wellington and the British fell back towards the capital of Lisbon behind the famous Lines of Torres Vedras. Back in 1809, while Wellington was out campaigning through Spain, one of his subordinates, General Beresford, was busy training the Portuguese troops in building a huge defensive perimeter around the capital city. Although the lines of Torres Vedras had some walls, it was more of a series of interlocking strong points and fortifications, each manned by 200 to 300 British and Portuguese troops. These lines went around for 22 miles in Lisbon and bristled with 232 cannons. Behind these lines were a second set of fortifications, just in case the French were feeling brave enough to mount an assault. The physical labor of constructing these defensive positions was performed by 6,000 Portuguese peasants and militiamen. There was even a third line to cover the port in case the British had to make a hasty getaway by sea, as they had in Spain in 1809. Although he had 61,000 troops available, Massena's men were poorly supplied and could not forage due to the scorched earth tactics of Wellington and the British. So imposing were these impregnable positions that none of Massena's generals would consider assaulting them. Massena called up Marshal Ney to the front. Surely the man that was to be known as Quote, the bravest of the brave, end quote, wouldn't be daunted by these lions. Unfortunately for Massena, Ney took one look at these impressive positions and said something akin to, quote, no way in hell, end quote, and returned to his base. Clearly these lions must have looked formidable if Ney wouldn't even take one shot at them. In 
October 1810, Masena attempted to crack his way through at the Battle of Sobral, but this was to be a losing effort. After failing in that, Masena sat in his siege lines and waited. By the time the stubborn Masena finally relented and retreated to Spain, he had lost another 21,000 men, mostly to starvation. Wellington and his men pursued the French, and the two forces finally met at the Battle of Fuentes de Anoro. Hampered by lack of support from Marshal Bessier, the battle was a loss for Massena. By now, the emperor had lost all patience with his dear child of victory, as he expected the British to be ejected and the entire peninsula to be back under French control. He was recalled to France and replaced by Marshal Marmont. Upon reaching Paris, he was made to wait several weeks before being granted an audience with Napoleon. His emperor greeted him coldly with a biting comment, quote, So, Prince of Essling, you are no longer Massena? End quote. He would never again command a French army in the field. It was an unfair criticism as Massena had pushed Wellington and the British farther than any of the other marshals. Massena also had troublesome subordinates and a severe lack of supplies. He was not giving a post again until 1813 when he was made commander of Toulon and then Marseille. After the 1814 abdication of Napoleon, Massena accepted the return of King Louis XVIII and the royals. But after Napoleon's escape from Elba, King Louis fled and the emperor regained his throne. After years of icy relations, Massena was recalled, and the two men patched things up as only old friends can do. Napoleon broke the ice by joking that Massena would probably prefer to throw him into the sea than serve under him again. Massena joked back, quote, Certainly, so long as I believe that you would not be recalled by the majority of Frenchmen. End quote. He was offered a frontline command, but declined, owing to his poor health. Napoleon still made him a peer of France as a final gesture of warmth to his old Italian commander. After the Bourbons returned, Massena retired to his states and passed away two years later in 1817. Allegedly, he still had 40 million francs in his bank accounts when he passed. A true testament to his ability to extract every franc, jewel, and gold bar from his occupied territories. In reviewing his legacy, there is no doubt that he had more natural talent than most of the other marshals, although his battle record was 14 wins and 11 losses. Most of the other marshals had served under him at one point or another, but the majority of them detested his administrative conduct and greed. His best trait was perseverance. Even if he lost a battle, he was ready to go at it again the next day against the same foe who had beaten him. The Duke of Wellington had high praise for Massena's abilities, noting that he had given him more trouble than any of the other marshals. 
The two men met once in Paris, where Massena remarked, quote, You turned every hair on my body white, end quote. To which Wellington replied, quote, You did the same to me, end quote. Massena's administrative skills were mediocre at best, and he didn't have a thirst for politics or a kingdom like Napoleon's other marshals. He was not well-educated and never sought to improve himself through reading or studying others. His real skill was patience combined with a quick-strike ability. Napoleon's assessment is interesting to consider. Quote, Massena was a man of superior talent. He generally made, however, bad dispositions previous to a battle, and it was not until the dead fell around him that he began to act with judgment he ought to have displayed before. In the midst of the dying and the dead, Massena was himself, gave orders, and made his dispositions with the greatest calmness and good judgment. The sound of guns cleared his ideas and gave him understanding, penetration, and cheerfulness. He was endowed with extraordinary courage and firmness. When defeated, he was always ready to fight again as though he had been the conqueror. End quote. I believe we will wrap up on this point. Join us again next time when we review the career of another one of Napoleon's old commanders in Italy and one of the most gifted cavalrymen of all time, the flamboyant Marshal Murat. Thanks for listening.